And please turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 7 and verses 26 through 28. Hebrews 7, 26. Short passage at the end of Hebrews 7. Hear God's word. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily for his own sins and for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this your word. We pray that you will be pleased to bless it to our hearts. And as there is this contrast which is made between the Old Testament priests and Jesus Christ, we pray that we would have a glimpse of and be able to gaze upon the greatness of our Lord Jesus Christ. And not only so, Father, we pray that we might have just a glimpse of the life-changing greatness of our Lord Jesus Christ. So be pleased to bless us to this end, we ask, in the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen. Okay, folks, listen up. Little grammar lesson. Little grammar lesson. There are three forms of adjectives. The positive, the comparative, and the superlative. Good, the positive. Better, the comparative. Best, the superlative. Good, better, best. Pretty simple, correct? The text which is before us offers this kind of comparison. Uh, The good in the text is uh, the Old Testament priests and the Old Testament ceremonies. The better is Jesus Christ. Hmm, you might ask then, well, why isn't Jesus Christ the best? Well, uh, embedded in the text is the idea of Jesus Christ being the best. So we'll get there. Hang on. Hang on. Uh, The text is uh, desirous of laying before us the greatness of Jesus Christ by way of comparison. And when you and I really understand the greatness 
of Jesus Christ, uh, we uh, understand that uh, this greatness is, in fact, life-changing. And so, uh, the text is offering you and me a glimpse into uh, the life-changing greatness of Jesus Christ. And so, that's where we're going uh, this evening as uh, we have time. hopefully to get a glimpse of the life-changing greatness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, The text, as I've already said, is at the end of uh, chapter 7 of uh, the book of Hebrews. And uh, the paragraph really connects uh, chapter 7 and chapter 8, where uh, God is presenting to us, through the writer to the Hebrews, the new and better covenant which is based upon a better, a better hope and better promises. And of course, it's Jesus Christ who ushers in uh, this uh, better covenant uh, uh, which is based upon a better hope and a better, uh, on better promises. Uh, look, for example, at verse uh, 19 in uh, chapter 7. Uh, For the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. A better hope uh, through Jesus Christ. Uh, Verse 22, uh, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. And uh, if you look at uh, verse 6 in chapter 8, It says, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. And so you see the comparative coming out here. And finally, at the end of chapter 8, the writer to the Hebrews says, Uh, that he's speaking of a new covenant. And, of course, he's uh, just quoted from uh, Jeremiah 31. Uh, So, our text is nestled in uh, this framework of uh, a new and better covenant, uh, which is ushered in on the basis of uh, better promises and a better hope. Well, how is this the case? Uh, Well, this is the case uh, because uh, we see this contrast in the text. On one hand, uh, we have the Old Testament priests, which in their weakness offer sacrifices daily. Uh, Look with me at verse 28, at the beginning of verse 28. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. The law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. And the idea of the law was that uh, the priests who were appointed, the Levitical priests on one hand, and uh, the high priest who was appointed on the other hand, had to have the right genealogy, had to have uh, uh, the right pedigree, as it were. They had to be able to trace their uh, lineage on one hand back to Aaron, the high priest, and on the other hand, uh, to Levi, 
they had to be genuine descendants of these men. Well, when you think about this, this makes them also descendants of Adam. Of course, we could go there immediately, could we not? But we see this connection readily, or we should see this connection readily. And in their weakness, because they are descendants of Adam and have to trace their genealogy back to mere men, they carry with themselves the weight of sin. And this is part of the weakness that the writer to the Hebrews is speaking about. And then uh, look at the uh, latter part of verse 27. Uh, well, the beginning, I should say, uh, of verse 27. Uh, he has no need, like th- those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily for his own sins and for the sins of the people. Daily sacrifices that the Old Testament priests had to perform. And this is an indication of their insufficiency to cover sin. And it was not only daily, that, but it was daily morning and evening. And on the Sabbath day, double morning and evening. And so, uh, by the frequency of these sacrifices, you uh, catch the idea of their insufficiency. And when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, uh, on his annual uh, work on the Day of Atonement to sprinkle blood on the mercy seat, he first of all, before he accomplished that duty, had to offer sacrifices for himself before he could offer sacrifices for the people. Again, the note of insufficiency. Uh, You see, uh, we can never depend upon, you can never depend upon, I can never depend upon the works of others or our own works, our own sacrificial works, whatever they may be, uh, to give us right standing with God. They will always be insufficient. But now, uh, by contrast, uh, we come to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is made perfect forever and makes sacrifice once for all. This is what the writer to the Hebrews tells us. Again, verse 28. Uh, Let's read the whole verse this time. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. The word of the oath is the word that comes to us in Psalm 110 and verse 4. It's just above our text in the writings of the writer to the Hebrews. The Lord has sworn and will not change His mind. You are a priest forever. This is the oath about which the writer to the Hebrews is speaking, which came 
chronologically, uh, sometime after the giving of the law. The word of the oath uh, came later than the law, and it appoints the Son as a priest forever. And the writer to the Hebrews adds, who has been made perfect forever. He has been made perfect. Uh, When he entered into this world, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Uh, As a result, he did not carry with him the weakness of sin uh, through the sin of Adam. And uh, you might ask, what about the sin of Mary? The sin of Mary as the Holy Spirit was over her. The Holy Spirit suppressed the sin that was in her. And so that which was conceived in her was holy, the Son of God. And He grew, living a perfect life and dying a perfect death, ascending into heaven and taking His position at the right hand of the Father. He was made... Uh, perfect in contrast to those earthly priests. And then uh, you can go back to verse 27 again. He has no need, this Lord Jesus Christ, like those high priests who offer sacrifices daily for His own sins, and then for those of the people, no. Uh, Jesus Christ has no need to offer a sacrifice for His own sins. But as the writer to the Hebrews says, He did this once for all when He offered up Himself. He did this once For all time. This is what the text means. The uh, word that is used in the text here uh, is a a Greek term, hapax. You all know Greek, don't you? Hapax. And uh, some of you have uh, heard of what is called hapax legomenon. And that refers to Uh, Words that are spoken only once in a particular writing. And uh, there are uh, several cases in the New Testament where we find an occurrence of hapax legomenon. Words that have only been used once in the Bible, in the Scriptures, in the New Testament. And the idea here is that Christ offered Himself Once, in contrast to the daily, repetitive, insufficient sacrifices of the Old Testament, once He offered Himself, indicating the sufficiency of His sacrifice. And don't be mistaken here, friends, by the language in the English Bible, once for all. It does not mean once for all individuals. That is not the meaning. And 
If you have thought in the past that that's the meaning, disabuse yourself of that understanding. Christ's sacrifice was sufficient to cover the sins of every human being on the face of the earth. But Christ's sacrifice is not applied to every human being on the face of the earth. It is not, as the theologians say, efficient for all. No. If it was efficient for all, all would go to heaven. But we know that all do not go to heaven. This is the truth of the Word of God. And the book of Revelation is quite clear. If your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, you are cast into the lake of fire. And you must suffer the penalty due for your sins yourself. God does not believe in double jeopardy. God does not require you to, to pay for your sins if Jesus Christ has already paid for those sins. And this is part of the point of the text for us to understand. It's a hard teaching. Yes, indeed. But our Lord Jesus Christ says, straight is the way and narrow is the path that leads to life. And some would say, oh, Christianity is too narrow. Well, Jesus says that it is. And so, I, I guess we can accept what Jesus Christ has to say in this regard. And so, uh, because of the greatness that we see in drawing this comparison as we have from this text in the book of Hebrews... Uh, we can see that uh, Jesus Christ is indeed fit and the one who ushers in the better covenant, the new covenant, based on a better hope and a better promise. Back to verse 26 now. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Holy, is our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is not the uh, typical word, uh, holy, which we read in uh, the New Testament or in the Old Testament. Uh, it bears uh, the uh, connotation and denotation, more specifically, of keeping covenant. And our Lord Jesus Christ was the one who kept covenant for you and for me. Holy, innocent, that is, never being able to be charged with doing evil 
or doing that which is sinful. It still boggles my mind that when Jesus Christ was a 12-year-old, he debated with the priests in the temple. And he was a perfect young man. (laughs) I don't get it. Having been a 12-year-old myself and being able to look back at uh, some of the things I did when I was a 12-year-old. Holy, innocent, undefiled. Uh, And this has the uh, idea of and not being unclean. Uh, that is, not being ceremonially unclean as uh, the ancient Hebrews would have it. Uh, when uh, the leper uh, would go out into uh, society, the leper would have to uh, warn others uh, around him, unclean, unclean, unclean. You have to uh, step back. I've sometimes done this uh, coming to church and you have a bad cold. Unclean, unclean. Uh, you don't want to shake my hand. Uh, but, but this is the idea. Uh, not impure, but uh, fit for the work of carrying out the sacrifices uh, to which He was called. Holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners. Well, you can get the idea here uh, that our Lord Jesus Christ was morally separated uh, from others who were sinners uh, because He was a covenant keeper, because He was unstained by sin in any respect. So morally, uh, for sure, he was separated from sinners. Uh, but, but there's another aspect of separation uh, that comes out in this text. And it's the, the idea of, of uh, geographical separation. Uh, that uh, Jesus Christ uh, went to the cross and suffered a, a great death on behalf of sinners, uh, died and was raised again from the dead, and ascended into heaven. And because of His ascension into heaven, into glory itself, He is separated from sinners. And it's not only the aspect of moral separation that indicates His greatness, Uh, but He is high above us as Lord of lords and King of kings. And as the writer to the Hebrews uh, tells us here, exalted above the heavens, He entered the more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. And the writer to the Hebrews says, not of this Creation. Now, I don't know how you wrap your brain around that idea of something which is not around, uh, 
uh, not of this creation that is somehow above and beyond and outside of this creation. If you watch science fiction at all, or you watch space movies at all, and you get a glimpse of the immensity of the universe, somehow outside and above all of that, Jesus Christ is exalted. And this is what the writer to the Hebrews is telling us. And because of all of this, Jesus Christ is fit to usher in the better covenant based upon better promises and a better hope. Because of His excellency and greatness. See, this is what uh, the writer to the Hebrews is telling us at the beginning of verse 23, or verse 26, I should say, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. That this high priest, Jesus Christ, is fit for this position. And as you and I understand His greatness, that our Lord Jesus Christ was made perfect, forever, uh, that our Lord Jesus Christ sacrificed Himself once for all, that Jesus Christ is holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens, you begin, you begin to get a glimpse of the greatness of this Lord Jesus Christ. And when you begin to get a glimpse of the greatness of this Lord Jesus Christ, you begin to realize that just a glimpse, just a glimpse of who He is can in and of itself be life-changing. Think about Moses. He'd gone up on the mountain, received the Ten Commandments, came back down. The people were a mess. He threw those tablets down and shattered them. The law in so many ways had been broken. And God called him back up on that mountain. And when he came back, his face... His face was aglow. His face shone. And when he talked to the people, they saw that countenance and that visage. He'd been with the Lord on the mountain. And he was changed. Visibly changed. He put a veil over his face because the people were frightened by that change that had occurred. But he took that veil away when he went in and spoke with the Lord. 
You and I may not have the privilege of going up on Mount Zion. Thank you very much. Years ago in a Sabbath school class, an elderly fellow who had recently come to the Lord said in the class, it sure would be nice if we could be back there with Moses and go up on the mountain with Moses. And my response in the class was, no, we have that which is much better because we have the complete written Word of God. And when you and I look into the Scriptures, when you and I look into the Word of God, you and I have the privilege of getting a glimpse of the life-changing greatness of Jesus Christ, the Lord. And as you and I have been encouraged to study Scripture and memorize Scripture and read Scripture, you and I need to remember that just studying Scripture and reading Scripture and memorizing Scripture is not an end in itself. That reading Scripture and studying Scripture and memorizing Scripture is designed to lead us to Christ, to give us a glimpse of the life-changing greatness of Jesus Christ. Yes, Jesus Christ is the one who is fit to usher in that new and better covenant based upon better promises and a better hope. You know, it's kind of amusing in a way that there's a lot of debate over the fitness of the man who occupies the Oval Office today. And some are arguing uh, vociferously, he's not fit to be in office. He's a vulgar man. He has no experience in politics. He doesn't know the ways of Washington. He's not fit to be in the office of President of the United States. And on the other side, there are those who are saying, he's perfectly fit to be President of the United States. He speaks in a way, uh, not uh, in a highfalutin way, but he speaks in a way that plumbers and carpenters and mechanics and bus drivers and truck drivers can understand. You bet he's fit to be President of the United States. And when we enter into this debate and into this discussion, here we are down on this horizontal plane, ignoring someone about whom the Bible speaks as the one who is fit to be our great high priest, the one who is fit to be 
the king of all. The one who appoints men to be president and governor. The one who appoints kings. And the one who takes men out of office of president or governor or king. The greatness of our Lord Jesus Christ ought not to be ignored. And the text, the text this evening is presenting to you and to me the greatness of Jesus Christ the King and your great high priest who offered himself once for your sins. Get a glimpse, friends. Get a glimpse from this text. Yes, and from others. Get a glimpse of the life-changing greatness of Jesus Christ, the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You that You're good to us in every respect, and as this is the case, we uh, do look to You. And we thank You for the greatness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Show us Him more and more, we pray. And as this is the case, we trust that more and more our lives will be changed. Hear us, we do pray in the good name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen.